Hello, you're listening to the Sydney Writers' Centre podcast on writers and writing. My name is Valerie Koo and you can find us online at sydneywriterscentre.com.au. We're Australia's leading writing centre and you'll find a wealth of resources on our website and blog, including interviews with authors, writing tips and valuable ideas on how to get published. Whether you're interested in writing a novel, short story or articles for magazines, you'll find information and courses to help you get there. Or if you want to hone your business writing skills, we can help you too. Our presenters are the best in the industry. We hope you enjoy today's podcast. Sandra Hall is a journalist who is well known for her film reviews for the Sydney Morning Herald. In 2006, Sandra's novel Beyond the Break was published and it was long listed for the 2007 Miles Franklin Literary Awards. Sandra has also written books on Australian television. Super Toy and Turning On, Turning Off, and another novel, A Thousand Small Wishes, set in Australia and India. Sandra has just released the biography of Ezra Norton called The Tabloid Man, The Life and Times of Ezra Norton, after five years of intensive research into Ezra's life. Thanks for joining us today, Sandra. Thank you. So tell us what made you want to be a journalist in the first place? Um, well, I've always wanted to write. Um, I didn't have much confidence at that stage that I'd be able to create fiction or, you know, really creative writing. But um, I, I just thought I'd like to um, to make a living out of writing somehow. And journalism seemed to be the only way in and the best way in at that stage. It sort of combined um, a bit of adventure as well. I, my other thing was wanting to travel. So journalism seemed to be the sort of... Um, the ideal way of combining the two. And did you start off as a cadet or how did you get into it? I went straight from school. My fa- <laughs> I was only 16. My father knew somebody in um, the Fairfax building who worked downstairs where the papers were put together and he knew the head of, um, well, we didn't really call them copy girls. They were all, everybody was a copy boy in those days. Right. And um, that's where I joined. I became a copy girl on the sun straight from school. And then I got my cadetship 18 months later on, on the um, afternoon paper, The Sun. And eventually you became interested in films and you're now quite well known for your film reviews. How did you get interested in that and when did all of that start? Well, I'd been taken to films from the time I was a baby and I loved them. And um, because I was going to university at night on The Sun, I was sort of known to be faintly bookish and, you know, their idea of being interested in culture. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Uh, which was a bit of an oddity on an afternoon newspaper. Um, so I sort of used to sort of understudy the film critic of the time. Um, I was about 19 at that stage. So I did a film, a few film reviews there. And then um, much, much later on, I, after I'd come back from England, I was freelancing and working for the Australian and the Bulletin. And when I had my first child, I was doing everything for the Bulletin, lots of art stories. And um, review. there was no film reviewer on the magazine at that stage. And it seemed to be a, a good thing that I could combine with parenthood. So that's when I started to review films. And I was there for years at the Bulletin doing that until the Herald um, made me an offer about oh, 11 years ago. And do you have a favourite film of, of this year? Ah, this year. Oh, you've caught me on the hop. <laughs> <laughs> I tend to sort of think of the last thing I saw. I'm very fond of Persepolis, the animated film that's around at the time. Right. But um, the girl growing up in Iran, it's really good. 
So your first book, A Thousand Small Wishes, with Alan and Unwin in 1995, was a novel about Australia and India. What inspired this novel and why the why Australia and India? Well, I've been to India and um, it's such a vibrant place and, it, you know, so many people speak English that the, the culture is sort of accessible and they had that, they have a, you know, as you know, a thriving film industry in Bollywood and, um, and wondrous sort of movie magazines which are far outdo any of the gossip, anything that the gossip mags here do. And I'd sort of picked up a bundle of those and read them on the plane at one stage and... I was just sort of captivated by the whole thing and by the by the country really and um I'd always I'd sort of been wanting to write fiction for some time. I'd done some short stories and I wanted to do a sort of novel about um a small group of people, Westerners kind of out of their comfort zone and, and thrown together in a in a in a place where they had to sort of um kind of Reacclimatized fairly swiftly, and the film company, because I knew how they operated on location, or I had a fair idea because of doing so many interviews on sets and things. Mm. It, it was an ideal situation, and the combination of the two, you know, wanting to write that kind of novel in India, um, just came together. And um, you know, I worked on it for quite a while before I really got it right. But um, but it was something I just really enjoyed doing. Now, writing fiction is so different to journalism. How did you make that transition? Was it difficult to? to it was difficult. Writing? Yeah. Mm. Well, journalism sort of pins you down. You know, it kind of requires you to be very pithy and very accurate, and um, doesn't really. Well, critical writing and sort of invites you to use your imagination, but it doesn't really encourage you to sort of leap off into making creative decisions and conjuring up people and characters out of the air. And and in a way, you have to go into another sort of state of mind, almost like going on autopilot. First, I, you know, I, I had that thing where if I don't get this sentence right, I won't go on to the next one. But I kind of abandoned that. The novel, I'd, I'd also, before that, I'd, I got some money to adapt somebody else, a friend's novel, into a screenplay, which never got made. But it did sort of teach me that if I didn't have, if if this idea didn't work out, I I would get another one. You know that I didn't just have one sort of plot idea inside me. It made me sort of think flexibly. But by the time I got round to trying a novel, I, I at least had that sort of experience. You have to learn a whole new set of skills, really, don't you? Almost you do, yeah. And you've got to relax into it. Um, you know, I, I, after a while, I abandoned that idea of, you know, concentrating on the detail and, the, you know, the perfect sentence and just sort of sat down and, and realised I could really be working wherever I was, you know, and walking or having a shower or going to the beach, you know, you're creating a, a character or a set of, set of circumstances and you can go back then and just sit there and scribble in longhand and sort of refine it when you go to the computer and fill in more detail, and it's a sort of layering process, I, I found, which is very different from journalism. And with journalism, you're dealing with hard facts, and here you're relying a lot on your imagination. Did you, have you always had a fertile imagination, or did you actually have to nurture it after, you know, dealing with hard facts for so long? Well, you sort of have to uncover it. I think I've always had it, but maybe I didn't have confidence in being able to use it. I've always had a 
good ear, I think, for dialogue. And uh, I've sort of, I've always been fascinated by people and motivations and character and so on. So that 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 was already there. But it's it's sort of being able to marshal all those kind of instincts you have into into the something that will sustain you over the long haul because it does take a long time and maintaining your interest is a big thing. Your other novel, Beyond the Break, is about friendship and goes back to Sydney in the 50s. What inspired this novel? What made you want to write this idea? Well, I've always wanted to write a, a Sydney novel. You know, I know the city very well. I was born here and grew up here and I wanted to write about the Sydney that had disappeared, you know, the sort of Sydney of my adolescence and childhood. Mm. Um, you know, I was old enough by then to feel nostalgic about it, whereas, you know, uh, in my sort of earlier life, I just wanted to get away from it. You know, I, I grew up in a, in a generation that sort of couldn't wait to get, get off to Europe and England and so on, which I did. And um, But coming in, when I came back, I wasn't sure that I wanted to be here. But as you get older and you realise you do want to be here, mm. that, sort of, that sort of Sydney that I'd known and was sort of rapidly changing. I, I sort of wanted to get, get down on paper. And in capturing that, did you do a lot of research or did you rely on that nostalgic sort of memory? I kind of relied on memory a lot, yeah. It was very, it was very vivid. Mm. Um, you know, I went back and looked at places and, you know, sort of realised, sat there and thought of what they'd been like when I was a child and so on. I did a bit of that, but... But no, no, the, the memories were very, very sharp. What are you currently working on? Are you working on another novel or something else? No, I've just finished um, a non-fiction book, Tabloid Man, mm. which is um, a biography of a man from that period, actually, um, a tycoon called Ezra Norton, who um, ran the Sunday scandal sheet Truth and the Daily Mirror, which was the, the opposition to the paper that I worked on, The Sun. Mm. And so that was another chance to explore the sort of period of, of you know, um, he well, he died in the in 1967, retired in 1958. So that again was Sydney during during the 50s, as well as very early on, because a lot of the book takes in the sort of extraordinary career of his father, John Norton, who um, actually started well helped start Truth back in the 1890s. So the book actually goes from you know, Sydney in the 1880s, Australia in the 1880s, right up to, you. Um, well, Truth didn't really finish up until the 1990s. So it's 100 years. When did you get the idea you wanted to write this this book on Ezra Norton? Well, after finishing the novel, I thought I'd like to do something with some research attached to it. Um, and he was um, sort of rather shadowy figure, a bit of a mystery man. He'd been a very secretive kind of character when he was alive. And um, unlike the Packers, the Fairfaxes and the Murdochs, um, who have had lots of books written about them, nothing had been done on him. Right. Um, no, you know, short pieces have been written about him as an essay in the Australian Dictionary of Biography and so on. Um, but, but he was a bit of a sort of um, an enigma. And he, but he also was quite a seminal figure in those years in newspapers and and it was a way of talking about tabloids, which are, you know, are fascinating. Really, I've always, I still find them fascinating after all this time. And um, so there was a bit of a hole there because he hadn't been written about, um, and it was also a, 
good opportunity to to write about social history of Australia over a long period. I understand it took you five years to work on this biography. Is that is that right? Um, well, sort of. I did in the middle of other things. I've sure. been reviewing film all that time, and um, you know, writing other things as well. And but the first interviews I I did were. We're back in 2003, yes, I was horrified to see. I went back and looked at my diary. Did, it, did you think it would take that long? <laughs> no, I didn't, no. Um, partly it took that long because he left no papers. There were no letters or diaries to draw on, so I had to sort of stitch it all together from sort of anecdotal material, stories that were told to me by people who worked for him. I had to track people down and then, you know, go to various different sources and spend hours in the Mitchell Library mm. with the microfilm going back and looking at the papers, which mm. was, you know, hard on the eyes. Um, so it was sort of, yeah, it took a lot of work. Did it seem never-ending? Like, did you, what motivated you to keep on going? Well, I was fascinated by it. I was, curiosity got me going in the beginning and he is a very interesting character and in fact the Nortons were a fascinating family and it's quite an extraordinary story when you put it all together so I mean his father John Norton has been written about in two books so Cyril Pearl's Wild Men of Sydney and um, and another one by Michael Cannon called That Damn Democrat and you know they sort of covered his life so thoroughly that I thought that you know I, I wouldn't dwell on John Norton but once I got into truth and saw how extraordinary, you know, his papers were. And um, I just found myself spending quite a lot of time on his life as well as his son's. Mm. So now you've had quite a bit of experience writing both fictional books but also non-fiction books. Is there one that you prefer or one that comes easier to you? Um, No, I don't think so. I mean, I like the variety. You know, I like the sort of idea of being the kind of writer who dips into all sorts of different things really appeals to me that, um, you know, as, as I said, after I finished the novel, I, I kind of wanted to do something which, you know, got me out of the house and got me looking into something that I didn't know about. Mm. Um, so it's nice to be able to switch between the two, really. So what would your advice to be to aspiring writers who do want to have that variety, who do want to be able to make that switch easy? Um, well, first of all, get, you've got to write about something you're really interested in. Otherwise, it just becomes a drag and you bore yourself. And once you bore yourself, you're boring everybody else. Mm. You know, If you're bored writing something, you know somebody's going to be bored reading it. So that's the first first thing. Um, and I don't know. It's a sort of your inner you know, cultivate a sort of inner editor. I, I don't show anything to anybody before. I've sort of got it right in my own head. You know, if I'm, if I'm reading it in my head and sentences begin to flag, I know that something needs cutting or rearranging. Mm. Um, so it's sort of cultivate your own judgment, really, in regard to your own work, if you can. Um, you know, and when you're starting out, I think you do need advice from people. But I think you're you're your own best judge, really, of your, of your work. Mm. Um so that's what I'd say. Otherwise, if you t- if you show it to too many people too soon, you, you get all these different opinions buzzing around in your head, and you end up, you know, being lost. Mm. Now that the tabloid ban is done, have you decided what your next major project is going to be? 
not quite. I've got a faint germ for a new novel, um, which would be a modern one set in Sydney again. Um, but I haven't got any more than an idea for two characters and a sort of faint, faint outline of a plot. And that's it at the moment. Sure. So can you tell us about your typical writing day? Because obviously it's a combination of, you know, fictional writing, research, but also your work as a journalist. What's your typical day? Well, film reviewing sort of sets the pattern of the week. So um, Monday and Tuesday are, are writing days for the Herald. Um, Tuesday night, Wednesday morning, a deadline of a deadline. So everything else is sort of shaped around that um, and the films that I've got to fit in between, you know, um, if I can, I'll go to a six o'clock screening so I can work in the daytime. With film reviewing, there's elements of your opinion, uh, criticism, but also not giving too much away for the reader. What would your advice be to people to get that balance? Um, certainly not to tell as little as the plot of the plot as possible. That's sort of the cardinal sin to give too much away, as you say. Um, but you, you should be able to evoke the flavour of the film to give people some idea of what sort of world they're stepping into when they go to see the film. Um, put it in context. Um, you know, if you're talking about a director or actors, try to place the work in context of what else they've done. Um, and don't shy away from descriptive writing, not, not plot, but as I say, that the sort of if you can evoke a kind of atmosphere, I think that's always a terrific thing. Um, and uh, and the opinion, of course, is absolutely essential. But I think it's you don't kind of just sum it up at the end. It's 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 best if you can to sort of sprinkle opinion through the piece. You know how the actor is, how the lead actor is, what the performance is like and then maybe back to the atmosphere of the film. It's a sort of to-and-fro kind of effect you're after, I think. Um, each film dictates the shape of the review, of course, mm. so each one's different. But, um, yeah, it's finding your own style and, and, you know, you inject your personal kind of attitudes into it as you go. Um, I think the best, the reviewers I like to read have some sort of um, kind of, um, and they've got fairly general attitudes to other arts as well. You know, they're interested in music, they're interested in books and theatre and, and, you know, the state of the world. And if you can meld those things in with your review, it always makes it a lot richer. Mm, mm. And finally, fast forward, say, five years, ten years, you pick the time frame. Tell us what you you see your career doing then. <laughs> Slowing down, maybe. <laughs> oh, I'd always, I think I'll always want to write. Um, uh, I don't know. Probably the same as I'm doing now. A little bit of everything. I think. I think it's the happiest way to go. What do you love about writing? I just like language. You know, I like using language and um, finding the right word for the the right kind of mood and and. Um, Whatever it is you're trying to describe, it's it's just a very satisfying thing to me. It's hard, you know. I, I you know, I don't have the radio on. I don't even listen to music. I find, you know, while I'm doing it, I'm just concentrating on that. Mm. Uh, it's not like painting. The painters I know, you know, listen to the radio all day, which would be wonderful. Mm. <laughs> but I can't do that with writing. 
But it's just, I, I just find it the most demanding, most, you know, sustaining, fascinating thing I can do, really. It's very satisfying, isn't it? Yes, absolutely. And on that note, thank you very much for your time today, Sandra. Thank you. You've been listening to the Sydney Writers' Centre podcast on writers and writing. My name's Valerie Koo. You can find us online, including details about our courses, seminars and online learning, as well as information on our regular competitions where you can win books, movie tickets and literary experiences at www.sydneywriterscentre.com.au or visit me on my personal website, www.sydneywriterscentre.com.au ValerieKoo.com. That's ValerieKoo, K-H-O-O.com. Thank you for listening.